hell was that? How the hell should I know? She, she, I don't. She was hot. I don't know. The bitch seemed normal. Yeah, well, I hate to break it to you, but normal bitches don't bleed black fucking blood. Welcome to a very special episode of Are You There Pod. It's me, Jessica. Oh, Josh. am I supposed to? <laughs> you said you were introducing it different, so I didn't know. It's me, Josh. Okay, this is episode 46. 46 times. <laughs> plus, plus bonus episodes. And we're still getting we're the still order now. Two, we have two people who say their names at the beginning of every one. Anyway. You mean to retry that? No, 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 no. no okay, fine. we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> okay, this one is this one is live and wild. Okay, we're going live. Um, so tonight we're doing a very special episode on the Fear Street trilogy, and we have two very special guests um, that I would like to introduce. We have with us Katie of the Haunted Outfit, returning favorite. Katie's back, <laughs> <laughs> and for the first time, Jeffrey Canino. Jeffrey, how are you? Uh, hello, uh, I am well. Uh, tonight is a good night to enjoy the fruits of the land, and I am <laughs> eager to share these fruits with you. Oh, crap. Was I supposed to have, like, a dialogue ready and stuff? <laughs> He's just more professional than we are. <laughs> That's from the movie, right? It is, yes. Yes, okay. yes Blake. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least I recognize Did it. you, Blake, Blake, did you watch these? <laughs> once. I think, yeah, I just, I saw them once. Okay. Jessica okay. just rewatched them all. I did rewatch them all, and then I went through right before we started recording, and I fast forwarded to every kill so I could figure out so which ones are my favorites. She watched it three times. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I had to. Man, I had to get those my my list ready because that's one of my topics tonight. I want to know everyone's favorite kill from each episode, I guess, and then. The most gratuitous kill, because I feel like some of these kills were just over the top. Almost all of them fall Painful to watch. Painful to watch. And that will fall into the devastating kill, which are the ones that are people who are close to your heart. So what are we talking about anyway? I already said we're talking about the Fear Street trilogy. Oh, did we? Did (laughs) we say that? Yes. God. (laughs) Netflix's Fear Street trilogy. Look, I just produce, okay? (laughs) So... Does anyone have, we're going to do just kind of a roundtable thing. I know that normally we actually go through um, and talk about the plot, usually in chronological Jessica detail. goes beat by beat, but page everyone's, by page. These are Fear Street movies. Everyone in the country's seen them at least twice, except Blake, who's seen them once. Everyone, everyone knows what this is. <laughs> Blake is the reason why they're only number 10 today. If he had been watching them, they would be at least oh, up to number no, 9. Oh, no, only 10? Yeah. So. What's ahead of it? Kissing Booth? Uh, <laughs> they just released yes. the Twilight movies on Netflix, and I saw today oh, it's like oh, numbers sexy one through seven is Twilight mm-hmm. movies. Oh, my <laughs> God. Wait, how many, how many Twilights are there? <laughs> how is that possible? There's only five. Did they make extras I don't know about? There are five. I've never seen any of them, so... All, all I've seen is the scene where all the vampires play baseball because Josh, Josh made me. That's a really good scene. I would highly, I would highly recommend watching all of them. They are uh, a new breed of camp classic. 
I know there's been time, but I think I feel like I need more time. Well, they they feel like they come from a totally different world now because we've moved so far on from the mid 2000s. I guess that has been a while. Remember the halcyon days of the mid 2000s? Yeah, um, Muse was everywhere. Muse, yeah. <laughs> the, ki- the killers. All the kids were scenesters with cool hair. You're being very generous to scenesters. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely. Sorry. Okay, so um, this number time one, do a number one, right now on Netflix is something called Virgin River. It's like a TV. Virgin that, River. That did not beat yeah. out Twilight. I don't believe you. It is. Well, I just looked at it. The rest of them okay. are Twilight. I think it just came out today, maybe. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So we're just going to do like a, I guess, a round table. We're just going to bring up um, different we things we questions. want to discuss. Yeah. Some topics, some questions. Suppose to the group. And the group may also submit any questions that are burning in their minds. I have a lot of questions, especially there's a lot of uh, maybe inconsistencies. I have yeah, I have yeah. some historical questions. I have historical <laughs> questions as well. So I concerns. I can't wait to get to 1666. <laughs> um, so I guess, do we want to start with just like 1994 and talk about anything of interest there? Because I have yeah. some thoughts. Uh, let's talk about the blow-up doll. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. This um, is one of the first things you see in 94. That's right. Jasmine, I think, was her name. Uh, Ryan gave her a name. It was Jasmine. Is that right? <laughs> It sounds Very right. important. So it came from Spencer's gifts. Was this verified? I think it was well, the kind a of thing Gadzooks. You get a oh, okay. <laughs> was it a Gadzooks where they had all the like all the the dirty stuff? Well, my Gadzooks was not that cool. Our Gadzooks just had like band T-shirts and Doc Martens that I could never afford. Oh, and those belts get- with um, the belt buckles with the beer bottle or soda pop bottle caps. All around them. Anyone remember those? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I remember ones with with Miller Light caps and stuff on them because I was bad, cool, badass. Uh, Gadzooks yeah. was like yeah. a less a less cool hot topic. It's like the VH1 to Hot Topics MTV, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it's like VH1 to Hot Topics MTV. I'm saying that in case anyone missed that because Josh no, is coming out again. I, I begged Josh <laughs> to come over. <laughs> I begged him. <laughs> yeah. So. The year is 1994 A.D. The setting, a mall. <laughs> I do have a question. Is the mall part of, uh, it's Sunnyvale, right? Is it in like Sunnyvale jurisdiction? Well, and the Shadyside kids just work there? Or is it Shadyside? It's called the Shadyside like, Galleria or whatever. Okay. Or Shadyside so why is the So why is the Sunnyvale Sheriff all up in its grill? I think that oh, the wh- tunnels are just really long. And they lead to well, Sunnyvale. But he, but there's n- is there no shady side sheriff? It seems like he's policing. I think he's shady the side. countywide sheriff of yeah. Union oh. County. Union oh. County, so, correct? Okay, he works for the county, yeah. so his jurisdiction is both towns. Yeah, I mean, I got the, the towns are like a, a stone's throw away if you look at the there's, map yeah. that they show mm-hmm. once. Uh, so Thanks. they they don't need that. Well, I guess they probably do need a few more sheriffs. Um, I mean, by the end of these films, there are. No more sher- no more sheriffs or deputies, I think. I think they're all yeah. dead. That's how I like it. <laughs> but you would think with a, a town that's so full and known for being the murder capital of the United States, they might have more policing. I'm just saying, if the police are there to protect Wait, people, the then why capital? aren't there? Well, maybe they're not there to protect people. <laughs> by by mm. the end, we learn it's not about serving and protecting. Well, serving Satan, maybe. 
And I would say that's pretty true to the books because the police don't really have a large presence in the books either. That is being very true, I think, to the spirit of Stein. Um, Also, again, being true to the spirit of Stein, we have barely any parents in in this film. There is Sam's mom, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other. There's a mother at the very beginning who is buying a trashy Robert Lawrence book for her stepdaughter. Yeah. Looking, looking at the, um, the credits for all three films that, that actress has a, uh, another role in 1666, but I did not see her anywhere in it. Um, Oh, probably just like background. I think she's just background, but then why? Yeah. It's strange. Why would they bring her over of all people? Maybe she also has a Netflix contract along with uh, Maya Hawke and uh, Sadie Sinclair. Oh, they yeah. all are just Netflix <laughs> actors. <laughs> it's one big pool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was I going to say? Oh, the nurse is kind of like a parent, but, but kind of not. Yeah. Okay. She was a parent. I mean, there are adults in the movie. But like direct parents <laughs> of the main characters, no. Kind of like in the, the novels. Yes. So I do appreciate that and keeping true with the spirit mm-hmm. of, of Stein books in general of the fear street universe so i want to talk about some of the needle drops in this movie because um, yeah, one of the first things you you notice is that there are going to be some needle drops in this movie well we start out can with you them can all. you get oh. some kind of is it fair use if you only put in 10 seconds of each song because every song it was just like a very short part of the song and they cut to something else and then do another needle drop no, okay. So, like in the first twenty minutes of the movie, there were eight needle drops. <laughs> you I'm not kidding. Yeah, I counted yeah. and I stopped it. So there was Nine Inch Nails, Closer, Garbage, Only Happy When It Rains, which was actually out in 1995, so inaccurate. Yeah, she was she was pissed about this. <laughs> uh, there was an Iron Maiden song called Fear of the Dark, Bush's Machine Head, which barely make. I don't think it counts because. Bush's 16 Stone she came was, out in December oh of yeah. 1994. She was quibbling about the so. yeah, no, this is Halloween. It's it's October. They're getting ready exactly. for Halloween. Exactly. Then you have uh, Sophie Hawkins' it, Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover, followed by Portishead Sour Times, followed by Cypress Hill Insane in the Brain, followed by Radiohead's Creep. Boom. The yeah. first 18 minutes <laughs> it's of like the movie. One for each like little cut, almost. Well, the scene when they're in the hall, there are like three quick cuts because you have. Yeah. Yeah. Machine Head, then Sophie Hawkins, then Portishead. Can this we just pick one song wall to establish to a mood? Anyway. Well, yeah, but that's that's not how they use music anymore in movies. Uh, they use music to be very literal about something that the character is going through emotionally or yes. literally in the plot. Like, I mean, my favorite is Firestarter when they start playing that when they're <laughs> building a fire. Um, I mean, they couldn't be more on the head. Yeah, none of them have anything to do with mood at all. Um, which no. I think is a problem, at least for me as a viewer. Yeah, and it's also a way to, I guess, maybe establish uh, the character, right? Because the first time we see Dina, they're playing, you know, angsty garbage song. And she's surrounded by like... <laughs> and she is angsty garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Shady side trash. Yeah. Did it happen to be raining, by the way? No, it was a very sunny day. No. That would have been too good. Too literal, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was my, my big quibble. And I, I mean, this happens in like mainstream movies all the time too. Like Suicide yeah. Squad was probably one of the most <laughs> egregious that I can think of off the top of my head in doing that. Uh-huh. So, but yeah, there were 19 songs total that were used in 1994. That's just the first movie. And that's just the first movie. 
So. So the second movie are needle drops that obviously they can't do contemporary needle drops in mm-hmm. that one. No, nope. there were fourteen. Well, in the they squeak. One. They, they squeak one in though. Um, at the very beginning, they put in the um, uh, the Nirvana cover of uh, mm-hmm. Man Who Sold oh, the World. Oh right, right. They right. do a and, nice bookend there yeah. because it yeah. ends with the original uh-huh. version. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they also do that again, though, with Sweet Jane, right? So in the scene when all the kids go to Pound Town, including Simon, (laughs) um, who pounds himself. uh, They play the Cowboy Junkies cover of Sweet Jane. And then in 1978, uh, whenever um, Ziggy and oh, my gosh, is it Nick Good? Why can't I think of? Yeah. Okay, good. I was like, oh, that can't be right. Yeah. So whenever they first kiss, it's playing the original Velvet Underground version of Sweet Jane. So when mm. I was watching the 1666 and whenever you see um, Hannah and um, Sarah have an intimate moment, I was like, maybe like in the score, there's going to be like a callback to Sweet Jane. And I didn't hear anything. I thought that would have been interesting. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to hear a ye olde version of well, Sweet Well, just Jane. in the score, like maybe just a little bit of the <laughs> yeah, a bard arrangement or something. A bard should have walked bard, by playing a it. A traveling bard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a traveling bard would have been a nice touch. So. I'm surprised they didn't, honestly. There are movies that have done that kind of crap, so. <laughs> I mean, Jonathan Richmond was kind of a bard and There's Something About Mary. A modern That's contemporary I mean. bard. Gilmore Girls had a bard. <laughs> they I'm did. I'm talking about like they had a town. They had you they want had town bards. You want a guy basically dressed up as like a a, a a court jester, but he's but he's playing a lute. I want. Here's what I want. Back to the Future Three. ZZ Top is there, but they're playing period appropriate instruments, and but they still spin them around like they do in real life. Okay. It works somehow. It works. Okay. Does anyone else have any thoughts on needle drops? I just wanted to... Uh, like favorites even? Or or are they all bad? I just want to know the p- production budget. <laughs> mm. oh. I think they spent it all on the all soundtrack. Went to song, all went to licensing. Yeah. yeah. Jessica, was there a 1994 song that you wish they had played? The one song that they didn't play? Of all of they got them all. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think the most inexplicable song to me was for some reason they use White Town's Your Woman in a scene. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why. Like why it was even there. Wasn't that from a few years later? Well, it's it's 1997 because yeah. I looked it up. But also, I just have no idea why it was used. Like it made no sense in the context of the situation. I believe it was when they were in the hospital correct yeah i mean that was one thing i wanted to bring up at some point was um the weird moments mostly reinforced by the music where you have some like bizarre uh stereotyping because it's at that moment when the white town song drops the song um your woman when nurse betty is introduced who is a trans character and it's saying i can never be your woman Oh, man. It's kind of messed up. Um, I didn't even catch that. I don't know how to take that at all, especially considering like how poorly that character is treated in the film generally. Uh, you know, uh, she's introduced. Uh, she sells drugs to kids who are, <laughs> I guess, like blackmailing her in some way or they're just working together. And then she immediately gets killed. And the soundtrack is saying quite literally... You can never be a woman. Yeah. It's kind of weird. 
Okay, this is why I should have watched again, because I literally don't remember this character. How did she die? Maybe that'll jog my memory. Uh, Skullface Skull uh, like, s- walks up to the front desk and just stabs her under stabs the... Stabs her uh, right, oh. yeah. Yeah. Like right under there. It seems like nurses in horror movies always get it horribly. Oh, yeah. yeah. They never last Every long. time. Yeah. Do people just want to see that? I don't know. It's weird. It's like a trope. It is. <laughs> Maybe sure. people hate nurses. I don't know. I'm thinking society hates nurses. <laughs> we don't we don't respect our heroes uh, yeah. like uh, like they do outside of Mercy Hospital with the um, Funko the, Pop. Sorry, the Hulk, I'm doing local the Hulk, here. Uh, we've got uh, who else do we got out there? Let me, okay, Captain let me ask, America. Uh, are our our guests are are East Coasters more or less? Do I have that right? Correct. Outside of hospitals, there do they have like big um, signs that talk about heroism and have pictures of like superheroes implying that their staff are akin to iron man and the hulk oh like like hospital staff yeah 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 oh absolutely yeah oh we love okay we love nurses here um you know you ever watch the macy's day parade see the giant inflatable nurse like we <laughs> we love them here it i thought that was nurse ratchet right <laughs> that was just <laughs> To a you know. promo for the TV show. <laughs> we celebrate the good and the bad. <laughs> Instead of yeah. putting out uh, like the Hulk and, and Superman or whatever, they should put out nurses. They should put out like Nurse Jackie, Nurse Ratchet, like all of the <laughs> all of the corrupt TV yeah. nurses. What about the hot nurse from Animaniacs? Yeah, I was, I was about to say hello, nurse. Okay. Yeah, got of it. course, of course you put her out there. Why did that not become a thing during the pandemic? The pandemic that's still happening. You mean like like the way that we greet nurses is we say, hello, like, nurse. We objectify them. And then we, we salute them at the hello, same time. Hello, nurse. Sorry hello, I didn't get vaccinated. Hello, nurse. I respect you. Something like that. <laughs> Should have become All right, I'm a thing. sorry I went off on nurses. Too. Okay, were there any other like strange musical cues that you can think of? She kind of burnt them all here. <laughs> no, there are some. There are some ones I liked that she didn't mention. So okay, I'll, go on for it. I'll, go no, for I'll it. let. I'll let the. Does anyone else have any that they um, they particularly stood out? There weren't any that were super strange to me. I mean, I think I covered like I felt like most of them were extremely obvious, and in, in that case, like a lot of them were quite poor. Like when Creep played, that was unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I did note this time around, like, uh, and, and was kind of happy about the fact that the Pixies got paid, like they got three songs really into did. the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Good for them. I love them. And I love those songs. Mm-hmm. I, Hey, was a funny choice. I don't know, if, <laughs> I don't know yeah. if they needed, if all that needed to be in there. It could just be a, the director maybe is a huge Pixies fan. Where's My Mind has been used too much in movies. I don't think shows. that was used. It wasn't in it. Yeah, no. that's not in here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Never mind. Yeah. No, it was, <laughs> hey. Gigantic and Mr. Greaves. Mr. Greaves. Mr. I, I okay. actually really loved the use of Mr. Greaves. I thought that was yeah. great. The way that, I mean, that's yeah. a time where they actually like deliberately synced the uh, the action on on screen up to the song. And it sounded great. It looked great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it really did. You never hear Mr. Greaves used in anything, so I'm glad it, it gets a little Did I ever low. tell you that I got in trouble working at a concession stand when I was 14 because I brought my boombox? Because all they had was like a really crappy radio. <laughs> and so I brought my boombox and I would play like the pic- 
Pixies Doolittle and uh, parents, like, usually they couldn't hear it because, like, they're cheering. But, like, whenever it got really quiet, you could just hear, like, crackety jokes. Like, <laughs> parents, parents hate the Pixies, if I've, if I've learned anything. And they, they did call the guy who, who ran the concession stands the owner of the local sporting goods store. And he was like, CD players are no longer allowed. So I managed to get CD players banned oh for everyone God. who worked in the concession stands. Not sorry, I enjoyed my time. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it's good or bad, but the uh, white zombie drop of more human than human, mm-hmm. it do- It sounds like something that a young boy would be listening to in his basement room. So I buy that. Can confirm. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've all done it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I felt like it fit as a good like end credits role thing for 1994 somehow it worked yeah it got me pumped yeah right it's it's like all right let's do this let's go to 1978 (laughs) uh the year that rob zombie is fetishizing here (laughs) in this this album i mean personally Uh, just thinking i i would really like to see um if they could go back and remake these but rob zombie directs them that, oh please, yeah. God no! That would be <laughs> wonderful. Who I would, please, who would his so wife good. play? His um, wife would play every every role. Yeah, probably all of them. I mean, I think she'd be Sarah Fear for sure. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, she'd also be I mean, Ziggy. She'd, she'd Ziggy be Ziggy. Ages. <laughs> she'd also be um, Ruby Lane for sure. Oh my gosh, of course. Which one's Ruby Lane? The the cool switchblade killer. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. he would make her a main character. Yeah. Which is actually that would be nice. I would like some more Ruby Lane action. Yeah, I mean, she's. I want to know. I want to know more about a lot of these killers. All right, I want to know more about Bonk Boy. Does he have a name? <laughs> yes, he yeah. does have a name. Billy His name Barker. Is Billy, Billy. Yeah, Billy. Billy Barker. BB. Yeah. Did you call him BB. Bonk Boy? Yeah, Bonk Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Barker, Bonk Boy. There's a yeah. The Milkman Killer is the, is what I want to know more about. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Who's the drowning guy? The grifter, right? Okay. Why do they call him the grifter? Does he like scam people (laughs) into into murder? And why does he have the weird like gas mask on? Right. Like a World War One mustard gas protective mask. These are all uh, things that need to be filled in in sequels. They just need to do offshoots about all these killers. Yeah. Spinoffs for each. Yeah. Like, how did the milkman's face get that way? Why does the boy like to bonk? <laughs> and why do we never get to see him bonk in the present? Like, yeah, it's always the same clip. Yeah, he's always like the only time we see him uh, materialize as a goop beast. He just he just acts as hype man for Ruby Lane. He's like, Ruby Lane's coming. Bonk, bonk. <laughs> Well, Which she's got to cool. have someone yeah. announce her presence. I, yeah. I agree. I just think he could do some yeah. bonking after that. Definitely. I wanted to see him. Yeah, bonk one cop or something. <laughs> see, they, see, big... Shady Side needs more. More needs more deputies at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. They should. I, I they should have a... had a bunch roll in there just so they could be killed one by one by, I don't know, the Humpty Dumpty killer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, that's a send more cops type situation. <laughs> Okay, I do have a question, and maybe someone can answer it for me. Okay, so at the beginning, and I don't mean to, like, regress to the beginning of the film. um, Interior, B. Dalton. (laughs) (laughs) Maya Hawk. 
closer plays. Okay. Um, so why was, so when Tommy is on like the, he gets like possessed, right? But he looks like ill and he's that way for a while, right? Like for a couple hours at least, because everyone's like, oh, you look sick. Are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. But that doesn't happen for Ryan, right? Like Ryan seems completely normal on the phone. And even whenever like Heather runs into him later before he kills her, like he looks normal. So why didn't he look sick, sick like Tommy did? I went, Am I wrong in thinking? I wonder if it maybe has something to do with like your character because Sam also didn't really exhibit those signs of being like sick or anything. It was like an automatic switch. So um, I don't know, maybe like, maybe it has something to do with like when you take medicine, it reacts differently in different people. (laughs) Evil has a different effect on all of our bodies. Some of our, (laughs) some of us break out in uh, hives and others just can be chill for a while. Right, because it took like most of the day for the pastor too, but it seems like it acts within a day, right? Yeah, I li- I like this theory. It's yeah, it's kind of like how the alien matures in in the alien movies. I think it it has to do with like the pacing of the movie and whatever is most convenient. That's what they'll do. <laughs> that's also a good theory. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was one of my questions. Anyway, we can go on. Does anyone else have any questions? Do flies? Yes, I do. Do flies okay. become more attracted to you as soon as your name is carved in? Is that? In the slab? Yeah. I'll be honest. I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> you don't know how witchcraft and magic and evil work like? <laughs> I, haven't re- I haven't read that book. You don't know how old curses work? No, I haven't read the, what's the book they have? The Satanic Bible? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. You haven't no, read any Anton LaVey. No, I'm talking about the book in the movie. I don't remember oh. if it has a name, but it's the book that does all the cursing. Like I think it just has a symbol. Yeah. Pentagram, probably. The witch's and, mark and a lo- or something. Lot of go- yeah, a lot of goat imagery inside. No, what, were, what was the next one you were going to say? I don't have anything else. I was waiting for someone else. <laughs> I, it, I opened the floor. Have, okay, we'll open the floor to burning questions. Anyone else might want to pose. Katie looks like she has something. Oh, no, I was going to say Jeffrey probably has something. I have, um, I have like four questions, but uh, they might come into play later. We're still on 1994. Mm. Oh, shit. Yeah, we can skip around, though. Well, my only question about 1984, then, is when the guy <laughs> says, uh, he's talking about uh, Sam, I think, he says she's sniffing blood like a perv in a panty store. <laughs> And I don't know if that works because I don't know if people, I don't know if people that we would think of as panty sniffers <laughs> are going into stores selling new, new pairs new of underwear. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I don't know that 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 line didn't track for me. Yeah, they're <laughs> no, more, those really are doesn't. panty feelers, people who like to feel the fabric. Mm. Okay, well that's not what was it's said. different. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying they got. I'm agreeing they got it wrong. 
Well, that's a kink. I mean, that leads to like a bigger question I had about this movie in particular, which I don't feel like is as big of an issue in the movies that follow. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that they were all the screenplays to each of them is are, are credited to different people. Um, like the director is credited for all of them. Um, and this one story guy is credited for all of them. But then there was like a different primary name, it seems, for the the like writer of each screenplay. Hmm. And I felt like for 1994, um, the dialogue is largely totally insufferable. It's really bad. Um, I, I've, I mean, I've watched every each of the films three times now, and I've, I like them all a little bit more each time I watch them. But uh, the dialogue in this one is so bad. And I feel like it's been deliberately set up to be a film that appeals to teenagers today, which I respect and think is actually really cool, except for the fact that I don't think teenagers talk like this today. And I think that it's um, uh, bad. So what do you think? <laughs> did, did you like the dialogue in this movie? Does it seem like how teens talk? Is it is it just all like constant um, fucks and bitches all the time? Which uh, is do you have any specific heinous examples, yeah. like the most egregious? Oh, oh, in this in this particular film, I have mm-hmm. one line. There's one line I, that's actually so bad. I love it. Um, it's in reference to uh, Ruby Lane uh, after um, Simon is attacked by her and says, like, well, I, I didn't know she was just hot. I went up to her. I thought she was normal. And uh, Dina says in response, normal bitches don't bleed black fucking blood. Which, <laughs> that, I'll that stand behind that. Good. That's good. That one's good. But all the that other ones great. are not. <laughs> Uh, Blake, like that, I think you mentioned this line earlier when the kid says, did you all go to Pound Town? <laughs> did they say Pound Town? They did. He, yeah. Okay, so they all oh, had yeah. the scene where they go and clean off the blood, correct? Yeah. yeah. And so Dina and Sam are in like a classroom and Josh and Kate are in the bathroom and then Simon goes in the bathroom by himself and they all have uh, <laughs> intimate moments. They go to Pound Town. With other people or with themselves. As in Simon's case. But well, he did say, did everyone go to Pound Town and everyone kind of looks around at each other, like, knowingly? And then he goes, me too. <laughs> and it's actually, I thought that was kind of cute. I say Pound Town, I like so Simon. I can relate. <laughs> okay. I don't, know, I don't know if teens say that. Uh, and Are when the well, they today? do now. She does clarify and says it was barely first base. And then right. poor Josh is just sitting there looking like a chump. He's actually looking super proud because I feel like even first base is like like barely. That's really far for him. That's big for him, yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing Josh is like, what, a freshman? And uh, Kate is, they're seniors, right? I think so. Yeah. This is maybe something that's never happened in a horror. So obviously it's a trope for teens to go to Pound Town in horror movies. Mm -hmm. But to have (laughs) a teen romance himself as part of that, scene mm-hmm. i don't think i've ever seen that and he's very self-satisfied so what you're saying is he, this film is groundbreaking <laughs> yeah I, I it's i'm just saying it's never been done he might as well be like smoking a cigarette and being like is it was it good for me <laughs> you've got to love yourself if I think todd Solomon had directed this yourself. that would have been in there <laughs> it would yes. have been way way worse than you know it oh yeah yeah Okay, I have one more thing maybe that I want to talk about in 1994 before we move on, and that is the cost of technology and Mm. the income of the average Shadyside resident. And AOL and AIM. Yeah. We'll get into that. So from what I can gather, the father 
Uh, Josh and Dina is never home or drunk somewhere. May I don't not, know. Because at the end, there's like a post-it in, in um, 1666 yeah. where it's like I have a job interview or something like right. written and Dina sees it and smiles. So I guess we're supposed to believe that he's unemployed. I don't know about anyone else, but in 1994, I was 12. And the only people who had internet were the very privileged and wealthy people of like the little town I lived in, which was called Marshfield. So, and it was very expensive because not only did you have to have a computer, but if you didn't want to use the same phone line, you had to have two phone lines. Right. And then, you know, uh, plus you had to pay for internet. So did this seem yeah. like something? Because th- there is part where Dina scolds him and is like, you know how expensive that There's is. A little but I'm like, and it also seems really fast, but that's just. I, we didn't have AOL until about 96 and my parents had money, if that puts it in perspective. But maybe they're just you, slow to adopt. Yeah, you basically lived in the Sunnyvale to my shady side, I would say. Okay. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, Nix is the Sunnyvale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was one of the things that kind of fell flat for me, both with 1994 and 1978, is like they kept stressing how underprivileged shady side was compared to Sunnyvale. Um, but like, because we're not given like a lot of information aside from these periodic massacres that take place, like about like the socioeconomic climate of uh, Shadyside, it kind of made me feel like the teens were just like angsty teens that lived in a normal suburb, but it didn't seem like any of them were struggling or anything. So I don't know. I I thought that that was like a weird, a weird thing. I mean, they had money to go to camp. Camp ain't cheap. Camp ain't free. Yeah, you know? I mean, and they camp all had, like, nice houses yeah. and everything. But they yeah. could have, like, played that up a little bit more if they, like, expected us to be, like, you know. I, when I they were driving. Only... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think the only time that it really is mentioned is that Simon, at the end, whenever Sheriff Good is talking to the survivors from the uh, Grab and Bag Massacre. Is that right? Is that the store? Was it called the Grab and Bag? <laughs> Um, Sounds about right. They talk about how Simon supported his family with his job. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So that is supported something. Supported a family with a, a grocery bagger salary? Well, he was employee at the month every month. Every month. Yeah. But <laughs> that probably gets 90, you $10. <laughs> how, yeah, I don't see how that works out. <laughs> I can't do the math there. And also, AOL, were they using AOL or AIM? <laughs> they were I think d- it was just an AOL chat. It was an AOL chat room, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Still, were I, think... so, I didn't actually have AOL growing up. I mean, of course, I had AIM once it was available for everybody. But in the early days, when you just had uh, AOL and its sort of exclusive club, uh, I never experienced the AOL chat rooms. So it was like looking into a different, although I think inaccurate, world. Because, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, what was happening in the AOL chat room was not anything that would actually have happened in 1994. Um, no. Like, people have pointed out the font choice, Calibri, didn't exist for 10 years after the movie was <laughs> yeah, It was great. It also, I love just highlighting we, that, yeah. We did not have the technology that told you when your friend was typing. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I believe that's in this. Yes. It, it all moves very, it didn't move that fast. I was there at the time, and I promise uh-huh. you, it was not that quick. Yeah. All right. Any other topics for discussion for 1994? Um, I just wanted to say that... Um, 
Like, two of my favorite characters were Kate and Simon of, like, all three movies, and I felt that it was really unfortunate that they didn't make it past the first movie. Um, Like, one of the things that's pretty classic with Fear Street is that people fall into these tropes. Like, there's, like, the class clown and, like, the jerk boyfriend um, or, like, the snobby cheerleader, but I felt like those two characters, like, were so multifaceted and... um, that was like really refreshing coming from reading a lot of Fear Street books. Like you don't have to just be a cheerleader. You can also be like a entrepreneur and you can also be valedictorian <laughs> and like um, you can have different traits to your personality. Um, so I really missed them in the next two movies. Yeah. And I will say that I put them as Well, Kate gets my best kill, my gratuitous kill, and my devastating kill. She gets all three um, in 1994 because her death was the best, right? She didn't need to go out like that. But it was also gratuitous in the fact that it was so humiliating. Like the, he puts her head in a cake and is like pushing her head in a cake before it gets shoved into the, the bread cutter. So it's way over the top. And then... Just devastating because I liked Kate and Simon a lot. So in my notes, watching at this time, the um, the cake smash uh, for me, I, I wrote down that it was an indignity. Um, <laughs> it was. She's she's clearly the best character. Simon has his good traits too. Um, I, I agree that they're both multifaceted and interesting, and I like that mm-hmm. about them. And I feel like that's actually something all of these movies do, is that they um, are pretty insistent on killing the, the interesting characters and leaving the boring, yes. unlikable <laughs> characters around, yeah. which I think is a bit of a flaw, if I'm going to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, out of the core three survivors, Josh is my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I feel like that's why they had to bring Martin back in the third movie, because they needed some yeah. comedic relief. Like, those other characters weren't going to be funny. <laughs> no. he, he carried them on his comedic <laughs> shoulders for that whole end scene. Yes. All right. Are we skipping ahead? Are we ready to go to 78? Or Katie, yeah. did you have any fashion things you want to talk about in 1994 before we move on? Um, funny you should mention. Um, so... I mean, two, three of my favorite outfits took place in 1994. You can probably guess them. Uh, the first is Heather's outfit right from the beginning. Um, I thought she looked That's so great. adorable. <laughs> and Jessica, this is like totally an outfit I could see you in. Like a cool like mesh shirt with like a floral dress over top with like some cool like platforms. Um I thought she was like the epitome of a cool 90s girl. And Jess used to work at a bookstore, too. Oh, my gosh. You are Heather. (laughs) Not as cool, but Please don't get stabbed. (laughs) Try not to. I'll avoid the gadzooks. Hold on. Keep a uh, super chiller on you at all times to block knives. (laughs) I will. Yes. Uh. (laughs) Fear, Fear Street vest. Yeah. Yep. And what's your second one? Um, Well, I also wanted to mention Simon's outfit when they were like picking through the lost and found clothes. I really like what he came up with, which was like kind of like a oversized woman's cardigan. And he had like some really baggy shorts on with boots. And I thought that was like (laughs) very like um, hipster kind of thrift store chic. I thought he looked adorable in that scene. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, 
One of my favorite outfits, which carries through all three movies, is our girl, Ruby Lane, uh, maybe my <laughs> Halloween costume this year. Um, she just, like, carried herself with such swagger. Um, I love her Amy Winehouse hair. She looked great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she had a nice bump. Yeah, that cute little cat eye. Yeah, she looked yeah. great. So That's a really good point. Is um, is Ruby Lane the um, the Halloween costume of 2021? Does Fear Street it's, have that amount of pull culturally? She's this movie's Harley Quinn, I think. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Fewer lines, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a lot of singing her cute little murder yeah. song. It's right. good, good too. Did it have lyrics or was she just kind of humming? No, no, no it had lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's well. a song called like um, You Only Hurt the Ones You Love or something. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do actually have one other point uh, spe- kind of specifically about 94. I think we see the most of it in 94. It kind of is totally hand-waved away in um, uh, 1994 Part 2. Um, but it's, um, like, how easy was it to be a gay teenager in the early to mid-90s? Um, which which the end of this movie seems to say was pretty easy. Um if you just tell your mom very sternly, I'm going over to my girlfriend's house tonight, she'll she'll let you. She can't. What can she do? It's shady side. Um, right. It seemed a little strange. Like, I mean, because it sets up so strongly that like uh, like Sam is dealing with a lot of pressure to not be herself and specifically to not be gay. And the, the the film at a certain point just says she makes the choice that that's who she's going to be. And it's fine. There's no problems anymore, um, yeah. which, you know, for for a film that I think is trying to bring uh, uh, interesting and, and sort of rootable uh, representation into this this R.L. Stein world. It just felt a little too neat uh, just because I think, you know, p- picking the specific time period and not sort of addressing the complexity of somebody like Sam making that move when like her mother is probably going to disown her um, is uh, it's a little I don't know. It's a little wish fulfilling, which I guess is also uh, maybe in Stein's yeah. wheelhouse after all. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. kind of I like was thinking that. Like, uh... No, go ahead. I was gonna say, it's kind of like that Ryan Murphy series Hollywood. If anyone watched that, mm. it which became complete kind of like what if the 40s or 50s or whatever could have been a little bit nicer, like it is currently, mm. and uh, right. in a, in a way that would yeah. never have existed at the time. Like right. Yeah. History. But well, this... I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about how like. Um, how like it's handled like Blake and I have been watching Mayor of Easttown, which is slaps, <laughs> which is set very recently. But I feel like obviously like the the parents in that movie are accepted of the daughter's, you know, daughter yeah. being gay and like having her her girlfriends over. But it seems like that's also what they're trying to do in 1994. And it doesn't. I think they at first they kind of get it right because it's implied that it's not yes. acceptable. The relationship's not acceptable at first. Yes. Yeah. But. Like like Jeffrey said, at the end, it is waved away to, I don't know, to wrap it up neatly. But yeah, if if we saw the whole thing play out, there'd probably be disownings and I don't know. It'd, it'd, it'd be more than just like a stern look from the mom. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, at the end of the film, she like kisses Dina right in front of her mother. And it's like, that's a pretty, that's a bold statement um, that the mother, yeah, just looks sternly at. And it's like, we're going home, but you can go over to her house later. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder if we, it's we maybe know. meant to be like um, 
your daughter just survived this like horrible situation and like luckily she came out with it with her life and so you kind of have to be like I'm just really glad my daughter's safe and so um, I'm not gonna worry so much about like this thing that I disagree with because I'm just happy she's alive <laughs> yeah that is that's a much more positive yes, and nice way to put most it. Positive reading of it. <laughs> yes. That's why uh, R.L. Stein writes uh, just these kind of archetypal, archetypal uh, teen characters because he doesn't want to have to deal with any of this stuff. So it's just yes. you oh, know, yeah. generic yes. jock is here. Yeah. There's a lot of things in these movies that R.L. Stein would not want to get into, I feel like. <laughs> His yeah. bow tie well, starts the... spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean most of the the horror books are, and ya books in general of the 90s and even maybe early aughts were pretty much mostly white and straight so and very sanitized yep. yes all right are we smash cutting to 78 Let's, have we got there yet yeah what Let's needle go. drop do we start with here the man who sold the world nirvana am i right yeah I think so. Oh, that this is the theme for Ziggy setting alarm clocks. Mm -hmm. And do you want to talk about the alarm clock stuff for a little I, bit? Well, here's what I theorized based on no knowledge of anything. <laughs> I pulled this. I pulled this theory out of my ass. But I is it an implication that this is a symptom of her, like a PTSD um, and her need for. To, to kind of micromanage every aspect of her life. She has a little alarm clock labeled for everything in her life. Kind of like an OCD type. Is, yeah. Is that okay. a shorthand for that? I don't know I how think so. interpreted it. Yeah, because at the end of 94, um, when she calls Dina back and she gives her a warning, it's kind of a warning that doesn't really make any like literal sense because she keeps on saying, like, the witch is still coming for you. It'll never end. You'll never be free, which for her is not true. Like, she's done. Like she gets reinvolved, but the you know nobody's after her. Um, so I think that she is just kind of feeling that way and is still sort of dealing with and you know processing her trauma. So we have this very literal representation of it with the clocks. Like she has to set all these clocks to remind her to have her uh, microwave uh, uh, mac and cheese and her Jim Beam, uh, the dinner and of champions, to feed. Major Tom. Mm -hmm. I want to know oh, what yeah. her and life is like on a day-to-day -day basis, you know? I think it's just her sitting in her small home, chain-smoking, and then putting her cigarette butts very neatly <laughs> in a neat little line in her ashtray, and then an alarm goes off because she's lost in thought, and she'll get up and feed Major Tom, and then she'll sit back down and watch TV and just... Pours herself some Jim Beam. Yeah. I mean, tragically, we know she never goes to the mall. <laughs> That's a bummer. I don't know. Yeah. And they what, too many bad experiences. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I wouldn't want to go near that tree either. I mean, this is the peak of mall, though. Mm. I mean, she's missing out on Gadzooks. She she's missing know. out on, on B. Dalton. I love B. You're Dalton. really into Gadzooks. Right <laughs> <laughs> I love Gadzooks. I also love, there was a store called Merry-Go-Round yeah, in Networks. They were kind of connected. They were basically loved the same them. thing as Gadzooks, weren't they? Uh, Kind of. Gadzooks had more like funny stuff. This was more like serious, cool kid fashion. Should should we talk about how the mall was built over the evil tree, or should we save that? Well, we don't know it's an evil tree yet. There's just a well, beautiful tree in the mall. We do get a few <laughs> ominous shots of it, but yeah, we don't know it's evil quite yet. Yeah, yeah, but it comes in at the beginning of Ziggy's childhood story, pretty much. Right? Yeah, although we don't know it's the mall tree, we just know it's the hanging tree. Yeah, 
Yeah. And then they, they show us, I think, at the end of 78. Correct. Yeah. That when they flash forward, that the mall was somehow built around. I'm just going to say that the tree is cursed so that you can't remove it. And that's why they had to build the mall around it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they kept trying somehow. to, they had a guy cut it down and just grew right back to the same size. <laughs> right. It was like, it was like trying to shave Superman. Like the, it just bounced off. Like every ax just, ba- yeah, just bounced back. You couldn't, couldn't whack away at it. Chainsaws. <laughs> it was nope. like a cartoon. It might be nothing. much more mundane. Like what if it was just um, labeled a historical uh, uh, tree and so tree. they like yeah. legally couldn't cut it down so they're like fine we'll build them all around it <laughs> screw our foundation to a lot of historical landmarks do people just like will there someday be like a mall over like the liberty bell i don't know i'm gonna there build it never a, be a mall in a, an amusement park around the uh laura ingles wilder house and it'll just be in there <laughs> wilderland that'd, that'd be cool 78 who wants to get us started on this one Cherry Bomb is playing, and two uh, two teens are going at it. <laughs> they, boy, That's boy are the they ever begins, going at yeah. it. Yes. Well, think, uh, yeah. <laughs> Close-up of this guy's what? butt. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of the earlier scenes. What I do love about this is that it's a camp horror film. I love camp I horror love films. Yeah. And we've got all the camp horror film stereotypes. So you've got the goody good girl, right, who is the older sister of Ziggy. Um, Cindy, I had to check her name, make sure I had that right. Then you have the mean girl, Sheila. You have the horny girl. Horny punk. Well, that's the bad girl. There's oh. another horny girl who... Well, the punk's horny too. Well, you can be horny and bad. Right. But sometimes you can just be horny with no other characteristic. You can be horny good, horny neutral. Uh, you don't want to be chaotic horny. No. Uh, yeah, take it from John. That's what, that's what Simon was, and look what happened to him. Oh, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, poor Simon. But yeah, so I do like that. Like, for example, the mean girl, Sheila, um, when I was watching this, I thought of my favorite horror camp mean girl and it's from sleepaway camp and i believe her name is judy you bet and she has the is that right yeah with does she have like a she's the side pony. side pony mm-hmm. and she's even wearing a shirt at she, some point that has her name on it she's three and a half feet tall <laughs> she's very small and she's got a lot of attitude <laughs> you don't want to mess with judy but yes uh sheila gave me judy vibes but without the cool style that judy has unfortunately. yes we need a yes. side pony somewhere yeah. Um, but yeah, big big F thirteen fans here. So I yeah, this is probably my favorite in, installment. Um, the fashion's probably my favorite out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Love stripy tanks and seventy uh, shorts. One thing that that these first two movies in particular do is take very specific references, like cinematic references, and say mm-hmm. these are Fear Street now, which is I don't know. It's 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 an interesting approach. I felt like the the first one, uh, 1994, does a kind of sloppier job with it, uh, wherein like its reference is Scream. And so what it Mm -hmm. does is I see people describing as like, oh, did you like the homage to Scream throughout like the first opening 20 minutes of of 1994? (laughs) I'm like, no, they just did Scream. It's not an homage if you just do the same thing. Um, Yeah. Whereas parody, (laughs) it's parody, parody. It's covered. It's fine. Um, Right. I think that this one was actually a lot better in that regard because it was obviously it's a camp slasher, but it doesn't really seem like any of I mean, I know all the camp slashers. It's not really specifically any one of them. Uh, It takes little bits and pieces from a few 
and I think also does something kind of new, which is um, have kids there and have kids be the the victims yes. of the carnage, which is not something right. that really Even many Friday the Thirteenth would wouldn't go there. No, the cl- closest it comes is in like part six, but no, nobody, no, right. I don't think any kids die in that one. They're just like no, mildly threatened for a moment. The tension yeah. there is what makes that one so great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wrote exactly because you're right. The kids do get murdered. And there's a little kid named Jeremy and. I just wrote the sweet little BB from Pin 15. I don't know if you guys have watched that show, but it's the little boy with the cheeks, right? The little chubby boy with the cheeks. He's so cute. And he is also degraded before his death because the campers all egg him. And so he's recovering from that humiliation. And then Tommy shows up and just brutally murders him. And once again, that's one of my devastating deaths. And uh, yeah. I didn't put that yeah, as my that gratuitous, but that was rough because it is a kid. It's it a kid. Rough. Kids getting killed. This movie does not care. Mm-mm. I mean, th- this movie for this uh, particular movie for me has three devastating deaths. It's kind of like the worst mm-hmm. in that regard. And that's definitely one of them. Um, for me, one of the others is uh, Gary, who I think is the unsung hero of this movie. Uh, Gary, who's also in Halloween 2018. He's a yeah. bit of a creep yeah. in that one, but he's just very nice in this one. He's helpful. Yeah. He's pointing out that a counselor shouldn't date a camper, which I thought was very <laughs> responsible of him. Um, and then he just gets his head lopped off while he's helping. Very rude yeah. to Gary. Do- doesn't his head fall in the toilet that's also the It does, cave? and it causes Alice, who is being drawn up. Well, she falls because he is beheaded. <laughs> and uh, his head falls down, and then his body, I believe, falls on top of her yeah. whenever she yeah. falls to the bottom. So yeah. it's... Yeah. Yeah. So and I can't dignities. emphasize enough that they poop into a cave. (laughs) (laughs) So the outhouses of the camp are built above the witching cave. I mean, I don't know what to call this area. It's It's a good name. Witching cave, (laughs) which we, we don't know the full extent of the witching. We just have an idea at this point, but yeah, this is a weird cave. Um, I'm curious (laughs) if, if like, that was by design or if it just sort of happened after a certain point, like the, it opened up into the, the, the witch cave. Like, did they build this thinking like, hey, you know what? There's a cave down there. Looks pretty deep. We'll never have to clean this outhouse ever. (laughs) We could just, well, I guess it's more like we'll never have to clean this one particular stall of this multi-stall outhouse ever, which is not really very functional. I mean, I guess it saves a little bit of time, but. I guess it is just the one stall, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. And I think someone pointed out online, like, why isn't there a mountain of shit? There's none. There's none as far as we can see. And toilet paper, just a whole thing. Maybe someone is tending to the cave. Someone's cleaning it up. Well, (laughs) Do do you think it's Nick? Yeah, so I was going to say, when he goes down there, maybe he cleans up a bit. He's like, he gets really mad because he's like, oh, my cave smells terrible. I have to clean it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Respect my my cave. Satan's going to be so mad if it smells like this. (laughs) Which I don't think would be true. I think, you know, if this is like like Dante's Inferno Satan, I think he'd quite like it. He'd be like, I'm at home. It would attract (laughs) flies, so that would be yeah. part of the whole motif. Yeah. Was there another humiliating death that you said you were going to list? Um, I had two devastating deaths. I wrote down Jeremy, who was the little boy, and then Alice, who is the bad girl. 
um, in case Al- Blake can't Alice remember. Was, which okay, oh the she blonde. Has the short blonde hair. Yeah, the short oh, the blonde pun- hair oh, with uh, the eyeliner. I call, okay, the punk. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And her death her comes. <laughs> it's kind of funny because just they're getting ready to go right and how, blop. Yeah. How, how does so. she? How does she die again? Um. He just comes out of nowhere and and and, and axes her head. Oh. Yeah, that, she, that's a lot of the deaths in this series. Well, I mean, it's an axe murderer. <laughs> yeah, axe murderers don't so. play fair. I'll say that. <laughs> Alice has like a 30, 30 second long speech where she's like, yeah. "We're gonna do it. We're gonna <laughs> solve this problem by reuniting the hand with the body." Mm-hmm. And come on, let's go. And then she's immediately axed yeah. kind of unceremoniously so that's why that one didn't quite work for me because it's telegraphed so hard and then uh yeah. and then yeah her death is just a nothing yeah she's a cool character i like her but yeah i didn't really i didn't feel that one uh for the gratuitous i just put the berman sisters because the their respective killers are just stabbing or axing them over hundreds and of over stab wounds and over and i have a question if you have been stabbed I don't know, 50 times in the chest, would mouth-to-mouth resuscitate you? Yes, absolutely. Well, that's what happens to Cindy. I I would actually say that Milkman um, doesn't do a very good job. That's that's his problem. Um, Oh, okay. Because he gets Ziggy a couple times, like in the side, and then he just kind of sniffs her for a while. And then he likes to lick and sniff. Yeah, it's gross. I mean, that's that's the gratuitous part. Um, but yeah, he doesn't really finish the job. I mean, she does die, so I guess he kind of did. So he turns into flies and, and goes away. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's not obliterated like Cindy is, um, which that I felt was the for me the third most uh, or the third gratuitous death because it's it's so much. I mean, her yeah. entire chest is caved in repeatedly yeah, by this with axe. An axe. Yeah, but she has enough time to like look over to her sister and go, "We'll never be separated" or something. Right. Uh, it's like you, yeah. you, your voice is not there anymore <laughs> no. at this point. You, you have no larynx. Your <laughs> lungs are gone. Yeah, I was honestly surprised by the gore and the sex in these movies. Like, I was not expecting right. anything like this from for Fear Street. I the guess dirty language. Yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, yeah, but, I I actually thought they were PG-13. <laughs> I was scandalized. Very <laughs> I early. as well. I expected I mean, PG-13. Look at the books. I mean, the books are PG-13. I mean, the right? the books do have murders in them though. Oh right? yeah, sometimes like, pretty gratuitous murders too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess seeing it is a completely different thing from just reading about a stabbing, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So, I do like how Tom his name's Tommy, right? The, the axe boyfriend? killer. Yes. He's just a guy with an axe who's possessed at first, but then he gets a. Okay, so <laughs> I d- the first time they showed like the store storage room uh, of the cafeteria, and there's some burlap sacks full of like radishes. I don't know. I'm like, that's what's going to end up on his face. <laughs> and by God, it did. It's like it was the Chekhov's burlap sack, <laughs> and by the end, they had to. Make him become Jason from <laughs> yes. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two and put a bag over his his head somehow, and it it works for me, even though it is just a Jason clone. It works for me. It's weirder though because they like vacuum form it to his head. Yeah, 
Like, but there's nothing that actually does that. It's just like Ziggy kind of pushes it kind of into his face and then it forms like into his face so we can see facial features um, and then just stays that way Un- until actually uh, he comes back as a um, as a goo beast uh, where it's like it's wet all of a sudden. It's very wet and like totally. That makes sense. It looks I mean, it looks like latex then. Um, it's the goo. It's the goo. Yeah. that You know what? Great, great point. <laughs> I gave that a pass because it's such a supernatural thing going on. I'm just going to chalk the the vacuum sealed bag up to like the witch's curse, I guess. (laughs) It doesn't have to obey the laws of physics, nor do any of the monsters in this in these movies. They don't. That's always a good uh, screenwriting thing to fall back on. If you're not sure how to explain it, just, oh, you know, it's part of the witch's uh, curse. Witch's curse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cursed tree. See, one thing I, I, I like about this one more upon rewatches is that um, it does spend a lot more time than the first one does exploring the lore of this world and the witch stuff. I mean, this one is not totally revealing because it's still we don't know exactly the origins of the 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 witch curse or that you know what kind of witch curse it is we're still assuming that it's seraphir doing something um, but we learn a lot more just by them simply being in the witch cave and exploring things particularly through uh miss lane's journal uh ruby lane's mom the nurse um who we don't know how and again i think uh, it's just plot expediency that, that makes this possible she learns a lot of really important things uh, that somebody like Nick Good would not, or, the, or like just the Good family in general, would not want to be out there. Um, like the reuniting hand with body uh, of Seraphir, which is like extremely important, right? That's the thing that reveals that the Goods are evil. It's what all of the supernatural villains are trying to prevent. Um, but somehow, uh, uh, Miss Lane just found it out and wrote it in her journal for all the other characters to discover, um, which is very helpful. Um, it, it, it does, they're, they're, they're thinking it'll end the curse generally over town, which it does not. Um, but it does, uh, you know, eventually bring us the third movie through Dina's, uh, flashback experience. So, um, yeah. How did you feel generally about the lore, like the witch stuff of these movies? I mean, I guess maybe up to this point, um, because it gets, it gets pretty intense here. There's a lot more that we discover. How do you, how do you like it? Go ahead. Why is everyone looking at me? <laughs> I'm not looking at you because I can't see you. I thought, I thought you. I thought you had thoughts. Oh, I wasn't expecting a witch lore question. So okay, <laughs> think about it I, for a second. <laughs> Jess wasn't prepared for witch lore. I. I mean, I. I liked it fine. I. I. I didn't see. I did not see the twist coming in the third film about the witch. Did anyone else kind of see that coming? Which twist in particular? Well, that it that it wasn't Seraphir at all. That it was that it was a man. In, in fact, that was the witch, and she wasn't the witch. So, I mean, my assumption from the start was, I mean, if you have, um, you know, if you've read the saga trilogy or you know anything about like the the origins of Fear Street, both the fears and the goods are witches. So I kind of went mm. into this assuming that that was the case. So I knew that Nick Good. I knew the good Nick Good and all of his ancestors, they were definitely witches. Uh, but I did assume that Seraphir was a witch as well. So I was kind of a little confused, you know, up until we get to the, the third part and, and see it for, for uh, its totality, that um, uh, I was assuming that Sarah was a witch too. So I was trying to sort of figure that out and how it 
played into the curse and what was happening with the supernatural villains. Um, and it was not really making sense to me. I was like, this is seeming like it's going to be very disappointing if I can't figure this out. And, and I think it was resolved in the third movie for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Katie, what do you think? Um, I really liked the, I really liked how the lore sort of um, unraveled in the second film. Um, particularly around Nurse Lane. Like, I like to think that, you know, she was, like, so devastated by what her daughter did and didn't understand it, and she had kind of, like, spent her free time as, like, a little detective trying to, like, research this sort of mysterious witch history of the town. And, like, maybe she got some things wrong, but, of course, it's been, like, over 300 years, so things are misinterpreted and... um I don't know. I liked I liked the idea of like her collecting these clues to try to piece together and try to make sense of like what happened to her daughter and um like having found that journal it makes sense that like the other children would read into it the same way that she did about like having to reunite the the hand with the body and and everything. Um yeah, I thought that it was I thought that it came together really well. Yeah, I've never read any of the books, so I did not know that this was keeping true to the books somewhat. Um, and also, <laughs> I everything was was new to me, obviously, because I knew nothing going in, so I had a different experience. Clearly, Blake was a Goosebumps kid. I so. literally was a Goosebumps kid. Fear Street was too mature, too um, too violent for me. Probably would have kept me up at night. So I just had to read about horror land and other stuff where no one died. Haunted masks. <laughs> Monster blood. Monster blood. Monster blood was my favorite series within the series. But I know we're not here to talk about goose. They should do a, a, like an R-rated goosebump. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. Take it up a notch. Slappy having sex finally. No. That, no. Okay. That, yeah. That's who they should get to do. Okay, Slappy saying I went zombie. to Pound Town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob Zombie doing doing Slappy. <laughs> everyone loves a haunted doll that that. Uh, I feel like raunchy, that would just be right? Bride of Chucky, right? Yeah. Everyone lo- loves a raunchy talking doll. I mean, it's true. Um, I thought that. I think if there's. Oh, sorry. Just one more point about 1978 that I wanted to mention. I thought Cindy's story was so tragic. How, like, she had, I don't know, she had spent, like, all of her summer money to try to buy this shirt that she thought would make her look fancier and, like, cooler so that people would think that she wasn't from Shadyside. And as, like, the film progressed, like, more and more things were happening to this shirt that she had spent so much money on. Don't laugh, Jeffrey. It's right. so sad. No, no, it was a nice shirt. It was really That's nice. The first but it's time not the shirt. Cusses. It's like the symbolism of like um, her not being able to like escape who she really is. And it's like, I mean, her sister was so mean to her at the beginning, just saying like, you look like an idiot spending this much on a, on a shirt so that people think that you're fancy when everybody knows you're just from this like poor little town. Um, but then it sort of was actualized. Like she didn't escape that poor little town and she didn't get to have like a nice shirt and nobody thought she was fancy. And I thought her story was very tragic, um, both sartorially and uh, as from her character. <laughs> and her shirt was 
wrecked by the end. Yeah. Can we say? Yeah. I think you're Blake right. Uh, you pointed out the first time she curses. First time she swears is because her shirt, shirt gets, gets messed gets up. Torn. <laughs> and she's known as a girl who doesn't swear. Yeah. Although she was a reformed bad girl. Am I correct in that? Yeah. Like she and Alice used to kind of. You can uh, never reform a bad girl. <laughs> Right, not not deep down. But yeah, Alice is like, you used to be cool, you used to have fun. I like the backstory there. We have that reinforced in, in 1666 when we meet her ancestor, um, the one who's played by herself, <laughs> who like everybody says is like, wow, she, she, ooh, she's a slut, right? Um, <laughs> like she, the she, old slut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, she used to be cool, and now she's like very stodgy. But she is tragic, too. Although one thing that adds like a slight wrinkle to her polo story is that late in the film, we find out that she has that nice new bag that she bought as well. Uh, the little um, side bag that uh, Alice takes and puts the uh, uh, Seraphir's hand, skeleton hand in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's her bag. And she says like, hey, that bag is new and it costs a lot of money. So it's like. She's been she's been raking in a good amount of money to buy both a polo and a bag. But yeah, I mean, uh, she is a very tragic character. I think that, you know, her death is so sort of sad uh, at the end because not only is she like gratuitously gratuitously uh, axed into into pieces, but also because she is somebody who is kind of like um, I think Kate was in the first movie is demonstrating that like as hard as you try, you cannot escape uh, these forces that are keeping you stuck in shady side. Um, and that's like a, a larger, like interesting thing about these movies is how they're trying to um, explain these sort of institutional forces that keep um, people in poorer communities uh, sort of stuck with both the stigma and the sort of uh, uh, baggage and the circumstances of that sort of life, um, they're sort of like wrap it up into witch stuff. And so it's like, you know, uh, like quite literally Cindy is dying and is stuck in Shadyside because it's a witch. But then it's like, well, it's also these bigger forces of class and privilege and circumstance and opportunity um, that she can't really avoid. So it's interesting that, again, I, this is like another thing that like Stein does not play around with at all in the books. Um, like shady side in the, in the novels is a pretty, uh, I mean, it's a pretty standard, I think, suburban town. It has its richer, uh, parts. It has its poorer parts. It's kind of all mixed. Um, you know, instead of the town itself being haunted, it's just this one street where if you're, if you're, if you live on uh, fear street, you are doomed. Um, I mean, if you have a cabin by Fear Lake, forget about it. It's over. It's you over. Say, you say that, but with the real estate market how it is right now, people are uh, getting offers on these uh, Fear Street houses right. uh, from from BlackRock <laughs> right away. They're paying a. Uh, you put it. You put it on Zillow for thirty minutes, and someone's buying it. So sell now if you live on Fear Street. Throughout this whole this whole trilogy, I, as a person who hasn't read any of it, am, am going, where's Fear Street? Where's Fear Street? <laughs> and of course, it takes until the end of the last movie, I think, to just kind of give a nod to it, but not not really much of anything. Yeah, it appears that Martin lives on Fear Street, but it seems right. like a pretty chill place to live. Um, he's just like sitting on his porch, minding his own business. Yeah. He that specifically is, lives at 99 Fear Street. Fear Street. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> 
Does he really? No. Yeah, which is like, oh, if you no. haven't read the books, it's the most haunted house on Fear Street. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Amityville house of Fear Street. That's so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. He, he should get a spinoff then. <laughs> oh, I hope. Where, That'd be okay. great. Maybe we this was already made clear, but is this in like the Pacific Northwest? Where is this? I've always gotten the impression from reading the Fear Street books that that Shady Side is in like the Rust Belt, like Ohio. Yeah. Um, so there is, so uh, there is a Shady Side in Ohio, a yeah. real one. Well, it's not the real one. I know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Okay. Well, I know that because I tried thing. to look up the median income of uh, <laughs> Shady Side a minute ago, <laughs> and, wow. I, and I found the real town. What is it? What's the median income? Oh, I don't know. I, I clicked off oh, it when okay. I found out it wasn't the real Shady Side. Oh, okay. Not the real yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. not Arnold so Stein's. In in the books, shade, the location of Shady Side is never identified. It's just supposed to be like in any town, America. Um, and even when it moves into like the saga territory where, um, you know, it, it's more historical. Um, so like the fear and good families, they start out in Massachusetts Bay Colony, but then the fear family moves around to various parts of the United States and the, the curse just follows them. Um, so it doesn't really matter where they are. It's not like a cursed location. It's kind of like a cursed family that becomes a cursed location. Um, and in this, you know, they set it up like from the beginning that it is, uh, uh, a cursed location. It's this cursed county of union, the settlement. And in a lot of the press materials, um, like professional reviews and um, some interviews and stuff, they keep on identifying Shadyside as Shadyside, Ohio. Now, I don't know if that's like poor researching oh. from the writers or if that's something that was sent out in the press kit. Um, like it's never identified in the Weird. movies where it is, but if it's Ohio, I mean, talk about anachronisms. It's like, it's bonkers how anachronistic <laughs> that is. Yeah. Um, and so I guess it, it was the site of a Puritan settlement. So it's, it's the Eastern United States, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would think so. Right. But I, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I don't buy that necessarily. Like in this movie universe, it could be anywhere. Look, if they're yeah, playing I mean, that sure. Bush song uh, exactly. two months early, they can put the Puritans in Ohio. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm sure it was filmed in Vancouver, so <laughs> or or Georgia. It was filmed in Georgia. Was it? Oh, okay. was it? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, in, in the books, is there even a Sunnyvale? Is that a thing? No. Is there this town rivalry? I don't. Oh, that's made up. Don't for this. believe so. Yeah, there's no town rival rivalry type thing. There, there are some like other towns around Shadyside that are mentioned from time to time, but again, there's no like animosity there really. Um, and I guess it's because Shadyside in the books like has like, again, it's got like the nice parts of town and the bad parts of town. So they don't really need yeah. to do that. Um, yeah. I really hated that town rivalry. I thought that was so annoying and it was so heavy handed in the second movie where they kept mentioning it over and over again. I can't date you because you're from Shadyside, et cetera. <laughs> So it's really very, very Montague and Capulet. But <laughs> that, the, that Camp Nightwing is completely integrated, so to speak. Like all the kids are just kind of thrown in together there. Yeah. It doesn't matter what. But weren't they, weren't they segregated by the color war, though? Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> in the yeah. color war. But then it's completely lopsided by the time they're doing it. But like they're all going to the same camp, which is kind of weird. Right. And it's a camp in Shadyside, too. Yeah. The malls in Shadyside, the camps there. Like, yeah. There's nothing but houses in Sunnyvale, I guess. <laughs> Something that's really weird about these movies that I was picking up this time is the permeability of these two towns. Like, it seems like 
you are kind of allowed to move between them, or at least some people are. Um, like, Sam is allowed to move to Sunnyvale despite being a shady sider. It's not like the curse follows her into Sunnyvale. It's only because of this, like, freak occurrence that she becomes cursed, and then the, the creatures, the goo guys, are trying to get her. And then, like, I've also got this issue. This is, a, like, a 1666 issue, which is um, having to do with the, the dual casting, where everybody plays another character in 1666. Um, mm-hmm. At least most of the 19, 94 people and a handful of the, the 78 people. Um, like, if we're meant to believe that they are, like, the ancestors of their 94 counterparts, how is it that somebody like um, Caleb, a.k.a. Peter, uh, the boyfriend of Sam... Um, why is he killed in 94 despite being a Sunny Valor? Like in 78, we see specifically that the Sunny Valors are not targeted by Tommy or the other killers at all. It's only shady side people. So why is this guy killed in 94? How did he move into Sunnyvale and become a Sunny Valor or like his family, you know, at some point in time? It seems like it's a little, I don't know, they maybe didn't think it through too, too completely. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I was thinking about that as well. And I was wondering, like, maybe from the car accident, like, maybe he had some of Sam's blood on her, on him or something. And that's why he was targeted. Yeah, maybe. But he didn't leave the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But like, sometimes the monsters will go after anybody. And sometimes they'll only go after the people who have, like, the blood on them of the targeted person. Yeah, if right. if you're like in the way or if you attack yeah. them, they will attack you. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're yeah, if you're a cop that's just standing there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're like in the path, right? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> They'll just kill whatever in the path. The blood thing, yeah, didn't completely track. I don't know. I I think it falls apart if you dig too much into it like how the how the monsters are driven are they driven completely by smell <laughs> can they see at all yeah like what do they eat for dinner <laughs> <laughs> do you think they all like chow down on some pizza what's their home point? life like <laughs> they're just chilling in some goo until like it's time to go kill do you think they're all friends like outside of their killing time <laughs> Well, apparently there's, like not. No, there's no honor amongst them. They're no. ready to hack each other up at a moment's notice. As soon, as soon as that blood touches one or any of them, all bets are off. Nothing. Ma- they're brainless. Yeah. So. So I guess we're in 1666. Are, we're in whatever you, you want. <laughs> okay. So. I have a it, question. Yeah. Why aren't these girls married off? They're teenage. They're middle aged. <laughs> They should be they'll married. Be, they'll be dead soon. They yeah. shouldn't be out. They should have children. Partying and tripping on berries. They should be <laughs> married. <laughs> There's a lot of things that aren't historical. Let's say one thing I thought was funny was that Simon and Katie, whenever they were repurposed in the 1666 movies, were still druggies. Like <laughs> right. they were still like the dealers of the berries, or knew where to get the berries, or were distributing the berries. Like I thought that was still kind of and, a funny and the applejack, the applejack too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That scene at the right. at the bonfire was like one of my favorite scenes out of all three of the movies. They just looked like they were all having so much fun. Okay, this is what I said and Jessica had no reaction which broke my heart. I oh, was like what? this is straight out of a Taylor Swift video. 
<laughs> have you, the video for Willow? I haven't seen Am it. Am I the only no, one? No, I loved that so because it, the rest of 1666 was like this prestige horror, very gloomy. And then you had this like joyful scene where they were all just like allowed to be like fun kids. Um, I liked that scene a lot. I thought it reminded me of a portrait of a lady on fire. Yeah. If anyone remembers the scene where... With the fire. <laughs> yeah. Where the lady catches on fire. Literally what happened. Where they're partying. Yeah. That had that kind of like sexual tension there and just the kind of scene where they're at like a fest, like a festive, not really, like a, kind of a celebration, right? So, so I don't know if it's meant to be taken too literally, speaking of re- reusing actors, um, but it does that thing where I'm going to bring up Back to the Future 3 again, <laughs> where... <laughs> <laughs> I took my headphones off because I haven't watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire yet. Uh, and then oh when I wait, God. Josh, you haven't. And then how it, many years ago it, did that come out? Two. It's been sitting in my car from the library from like three weeks. Uh, but <laughs> it's probably uh, melted. But yeah. it's not good. <laughs> eh. It better not be from mine. It's it's not. Uh, and when I put them back on, Blake was saying, "I hate to bring up Back to the Future three again." No. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's where you're wrong that's where you're wrong i don't hate to bring i love to bring it up again okay. um so that movie also does a thing where the same actor will play their distant di- this is even more distant than back to the future three because that was in the 19th century so someone in 1666 is going to look exactly the same as their predecessor not their predecessor what's the word i'm thinking of as ancestor dis- descendant yeah um, hundreds of years later, so the concept of genetic drift does not exist. <laughs> You're going to look exactly the same as your great, 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 great grandmother. Well, I wonder if it was just done that way so we have like more emotional attachment to the characters. Because if it had been like right. a school filled with random kids who got their eyes chopped out, maybe we wouldn't care as much. But since it's like Josh and Ziki, like maybe mm-hmm. we care more. That's exactly right, and that's why um, Michael J. Fox also played <laughs> Martin Martin O'Fly. Uh, Martin O'Fly. Martin Mick O'Fly. The yeah, I forgot his. Name. I've never seen Back to the Future Part Three. So. Well, you should. Well, whatever. And, <laughs> and she's seeing all of this as a vision, right? Like, right. Yeah, I I so, thought yeah. it was like a Octavia Butler type kindred situation where. Uh, I was kind of confused by that. I, I realized it was a vision, but at the time, for some reason, I thought she had actually stepped back into she was reality. Back in <laughs> and she's yeah, like, <laughs> no, that's what I thought. Uh, I'm going to cause some chaos out. in this girl's life by, <laughs> by making out. <laughs> it's, it's definitely strange because the movie doesn't really give you a clear answer about how much we're meant to buy into what we're seeing there. I mean, because some of the characters are obviously the ancestors of the later descendants. So like in the case of the goods, that's clearly true. In the case of the Bermans, like we hear their name, their last name is Berman. So we know that these two who happen to look exactly like the 78 ones are, you know, they're the ancestors of, of these people. Um, so we, we do, I think, have to wonder if that's true for the other characters too. And I mean, in my head, I'm just going with, yes, they are. So like, even, um, even if they don't look, cause I would assume that that's just like a visual cue, right? You know, like that they, you know, they're cast the same actors. Like I imagine like in 1666, they didn't actually look like that. Like how Dina doesn't actually look like the real right. Sarah Fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also makes me wonder, like, 
is uh, Dina like a descendant of the Fear family? Um, there's no reason why not. I mean, her dad is still around. Presumably he might, you know, he's, well, I guess he's getting up there in terms of the time, but like he could potentially, you know, get remarried, have more kids. Um, they do name a street after him after all. So he seems like he must be more important in the settlement than just somebody who had a, uh, 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 two murdered children. Um, so maybe, maybe Dina and Josh are, uh, fear ancestors or descendants rather. You just kind of have to read into it what you want because uh, no, it's not made. <laughs> it's not going to tell us, yeah. But yeah, maybe I. it's also could just be a complete Wizard of Oz thing where it is a dream sequence and, you know, the um, so the, the people she knew from life, she's also seeing their faces in these characters. She's just, she can only view the history. She can't actually interact with it. She's just being shown how it happened. I think that's what I thought <laughs> it was. May I ask a question to the round table? Yeah, mm-hmm. please. Um, <laughs> what accent would you like to have seen them do in 1666 <laughs> instead of Irish? I think maybe I like, like uh, say... maybe like a Boston accent would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was thinking no accent and just speaking your normal <laughs> voice, like uh, just... like when Sofia Coppola made Marie Antoinette. Right. Everyone just used their. If they were English, they had their accents. If they were American, right. they spoke with an American accent and it didn't matter, which I like because then you don't hear people do bad accents if they're not good at them. <laughs> <laughs> I want some good uh, Kardashian vocal fry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt the accents were like a little bit distracting, but like some of them were actually really uh, accurate. I thought that Solomon's accent was really good. He really shined in 1666. Not so much as Nick good, but um, I think this is a good era for him to to play in his career. I, I just wanted to ask about um, uh, Solomon's appearance in this one. Um, his hair is clearly a wig, although I think it's a fairly <laughs> good it's a fairly good wig. Um, but my question is: Is his beard fake too? <laughs> I think it is. I think it it's is gotta as be. well. Gotta be. <laughs> yeah. There's, there was no time to, gr- to grow it. The, there's no way they had. No, because they, they filmed kind of this one. Table. They filmed this one second. So this was filmed after 1994 and oh, he's clean interesting. shaven. Interesting. I thought it looked fake, but that's me. Yeah. I, I have to ask why, why and how, maybe I'm, I'm just completely ignorant of history. Why and how is it an Irish settlement? Is could that be real? No. Did that happen? Absolutely not. Okay. No. I didn't. I I looked it up. I looked it up, and it didn't seem to have been a real thing. <laughs> well, I was thinking if if I don't know. I was thinking if any. Why if, that choice? Why that choice? Because Irish accents are fun. I mean, was there anything that specifically noted it as an Irish settlement, or uh, besides the accents? No, just the accent. Just the accent. <laughs> I think it's just because they couldn't, like, most of the actors couldn't learn any accent other than that. It, it like, was that the was the easiest one, one for them to do. Yeah. Like, they got them, they sat them down and were like, watch The Witch. And they watched it and they were like, we no, can't. can't. We can't do this. Nope. I don't even. Thee the and thou, what? I would have just had them do the mayor of Easttown, you know, Pennsylvania, go fetch me some water. That's what I would have done. It works more or less. It's, it, it'd probably be more accurate historically than Irish. It'd be closer to the truth. Maybe. What else you got for this century? 
So th- is this movie is kind of split in half. Is it like one hour is is in the the past flashback and the, mm-hmm. the second hour is back in 1994? A little more than, than half of it is the 1666. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then it goes 1994 part two. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of 1994 part two? The way that, um, you know, the showdown in the mall. I mean, that was fine. I just didn't expect to see that title card pop up that said nineteen ninety. I felt very relieved that we weren't going to be stuck in 1665. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that too, that too. They, they couldn't sustain that for two full hours. I do like uh, when we first see Martin, it's when the, the Josh and Dina roll up. They're in the, the stolen cop car. And Josh leans out and says, hey, Martin. And he's like, what, Urkel? I like how he calls him Urkel. I like that rapport. I like that friendship. (laughs) Good reference for 94. I I like that Josh said, yeah. Like, yeah, I've accepted the name Urkel. That's me. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. And he says, hey, do you want to help us kill Sheriff Good? And Martin's like, let me grab my jacket. Like, very, very good. Such a good friend. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Like... Me, me and the boys post-vax <laughs> rolling up to kill Sheriff Good. Yeah. Blake, if I, Josh, would if you, I showed up at your house you, and said, Blake, we're up to kill whoever, would you just be like, all right, let me go get my yeah. axe? I would not even ask any Blake questions. Blake would go grab our wooden Louisville slugger and hop right. Uh, and that's our only weapon. Uh, Put some nails in it. My only weapon is a softball bat that was forged at Silver Dollar City. <laughs> we are so unprepared. You could say that you could say the name of any any cop from my hometown that you wanted. Not not naming names. Not naming do, anyone that was your old boss. Yeah. Well, now they're going to track it down, so. By the way, Blake would not leave cuz Blake would have to take off his old man shoes and put on normal shoes. I could do this in sweatpants. Okay. Like. Okay. Just making sure. Was there anything we we missed about the 1666 section? I have a question, and this is for Katie, because Katie and I were texting, and she said, I think I figured out the nosebleed stuff, <laughs> and I am interested in knowing what Katie Katie's thoughts are on that, her theory. Okay, well, maybe Jeffrey should say his first, or we should say it at the same time, because he's also figured it out, but same he wouldn't time. tell me what he what he determined. Okay. So, so my theories about this have been complicated by watching them all again today, um, because there are definitely some things I don't totally understand about the nosebleeds. Um, so my perspective on the lore here is that, as I think this movie tries to make clear to us, Seraphir is not a witch. She is at no point a witch. Now, she puts a curse upon uh, the good family line, but it seems like more like a ghostly curse than anything. It definitely is not a witch curse. She never extends that hand to Satan successfully. Um, So it seems like that the nosebleeds are occurring based on uh, Sarah's ghostly whims. Like when people are near to her bones they will start bleeding from the nose, but not everybody. And that's weird. It's only very selective. So like Ziggy gets the nosebleeds, um, uh, Sam gets the nosebleeds, and Dina gets the nosebleeds, and that's it. And Even Alice though, gets the nosebleeds. Does Alice get the nosebleeds? Yeah, which plays an important part in my theory. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm actually really curious because I don't remember her getting them. Um, she touches the goo mound, and that gives her some flashes. Yeah, she, um, she she like touches her nose, and she like notices that she has a nosebleed, and then she reads in the book, um, "Your blood will be drawn when she is near," or something like that, when they're in the uh, cave. Interesting. So, yeah, I'm curious why then, um, because Cindy doesn't get a nosebleed. Um, I mean, really, nobody else around Sam, when Sam first gets it, gets a nosebleed. Like, you know, like Dina and Simon and Kate, they're all there. Josh is there, too, right? And they don't get nosebleeds. So that's weird. Um, But, yeah, so it seems like, you know, for this ghost uh, uh, vision to happen, you need to bleed onto her bones, either her... It can just be, like, her normal bones from her body buried on the side of the hideway um, or uh, her skeleton hand bone. And if you bleed on that, you will get to see a vision, but it's only until you reunite the two of them that you get the full vision. Um, but it doesn't. If you bleed on any of it, the goo the goo men are going to come get you anyway to protect the secret. So you really don't want to have that happen unless you have a lot of friends like Martin and Ziggy to help you out. Okay. So what is your theory? Okay. So um, <laughs> let's think of this Seraphir curse as a um, four part mystery to solve. <laughs> there are four characters that get nosebleeds. Uh, as Jeffrey mentioned, Dina, Sam, Alice, and Ziki. And there are four steps in this mystery-solving process. The first step is to find Seraphir's grave. That's what Sam did. And then um, Seraphir like, recognized that Sam was an important person to help solve this mystery. And so that was like her little way of signifying that Sam was an important character to help solve the mystery. The next step in the process was to find Seraphir's hand, and that's what Alice did. And so that's why Alice got a nosebleed, because she's the next part of this puzzle. And then the third part is to like carry that secret from 1978 to 1994, and that's where Ziki comes in, because she was like the only survivor that could have been able to understand where the hand was, and then the fourth person was Dina, and she was the one that was able to like see that vision that um, you know that the good family was responsible for the whole curse. So there's like these four girls that are each like maybe Seraphir kind of had a feeling that they were all really important in her story, and so that's why I don't know. It was just like as much energy as she could muster was to give them this little signal. That's my theory. Interesting. I buy that. I buy that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I think that might be correct. It's, it's one of the most unclear things in all the movies. <laughs> they, yeah. They're not gonna like hold they're your they're hand marked as important people to help. Yeah. Solve and yeah. It's kind. Of, it's just like you're close. It's like an indicator in a video game, like the controller vibrating when you're close <laughs> to something good. Yeah, like you're doing something right. Right, because yeah. Dina is Go actually the way. first person to get a nosebleed. She gets it on the bus when they oh, are yes. dealing. They're, they're like close to where the body is, yeah. so that she can screw up and cause the car to crash, and for yeah, and for then, Sam to touch the bone. And then she gets it again when she um, goes back to the grave, like right before she has the vision. She gets another nosebleed. Yeah, we'll never know. 
We'll never know. That's the that's frustrating thing. Because, like, if, if my theory about the ancestors and descendants is, like, on the mark, then, like, all of them, except for Alice, are people who go all the way back to 1666, or at least their families do. Um, although even then, like, I don't know, why isn't it then Cindy who gets the nosebleed in 78? Because Cindy obviously had a much closer relationship to Sarah Fear than, uh, what was it, Constance Berman did uh, then. So, yeah, I guess I guess we'll never know is the best way to put it. It's like, it's somewhere in the, the margins of, of everything we're saying. Yeah, I mean, maybe Sarah Fear sort of knew she could see it play out, and that's why she knew that Ziggy was going to be the survivor or something. She's a very powerful uh, ghostly presence. <laughs> True. But she's not a witch. Also, no one said that. <laughs> Except the entire town for 300 years. They said it. But they were wrong. What were the best outfits of 1666? What pantaloons did you favor? Were there any good outfits? My favorite um, outfit was worn by Hannah when um, she and Lizzie and Sarah were walking in the woods. Like, um, they all had like some really cute shawls on, but Hannah was like, hers was like a floral embroidered pattern, which was probably, it definitely was very rare for a Puritan person to have something so flashy because if you've ever seen like a drawing of a Puritan person, it is the most boring you could possibly look (laughs) (laughs) and the most like conservative looking. So um, I thought that that was really cute. And she also had her hair braided really nicely and she looked like a little american girl doll that was my favorite outfit of 1666 yeah she was very peacocking that night you know yeah she was ready for a party (laughs) she definitely was (laughs) how about you me for 1666 yeah or just for outfits in general just in general um i would say my favorite look is simon in his cool cardigan (laughs) and uh shorts and boots i thought you know, dudes could wear that now. Yeah, he looked great. Um, I liked their flower crowns, you know. I thought they, that was... Well, their moss crowns. What part was that? Aren't they? Yeah, like moss crowns. Moss I guess crown. they weren't really flower. They weren't going to like Coachella or yeah. anything. They were, they, were, they were much more Puritan didn't moss you, crowns. I'm sorry. <laughs> didn't you get chills when like the moss started growing after Seraphir was buried in like her secret location? I thought that was really mm. beautiful. Yeah, that was cool. The red moss. Um, Jeffrey, did you have any favorite outfits? I did. One outfit I really liked, um, although I don't think she's in it for very long, is um, Kate's outfit after the um, after Pound Town. Um, she's mm-hmm. wearing like, and I guess this is all uh, lost and found stuff too, which I don't know who would lose this. <laughs> I guess it was like Daphne from Scooby Doo because that's what she looks like afterwards. She's wearing this great uh, like purple um, blazer. And is she wearing a turtleneck or am I just imagining that? I don't know, but it's the, it's the best <laughs> I, outfit I I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's intense, um, but season appropriate and I think very yeah. stylish. Mm-hmm. I like how Dina still styled her lost and found overalls with one strap. Yeah, I loved that. And yes. so the bib flopped down, which was a very like 90s thing to do, if I remember. Yeah, correctly. that was very authentic. Yes. Yes, but I love how she took the time to do that. Like, 
like, well, I got to make sure I look cool. So I better just leave one I, side of my overalls. I mean, she's saving time by not uh, <laughs> by not getting up. The true. Yes. One, true. So. You get true. you get to pound town quicker when you're. Overalls are anyway. Um, so let's get to 1994 part two and, and and talk about how this thing wraps up. Sure. I thought that it was like so crafty um, the way they figured out how to trap all of the monsters uh, behind the behind the gates. Um, mm-hmm. And the gate from B. Dalton like didn't close all the way, which also happened in. 1994, which I thought was like <laughs> a clever throwback. I was like, no, it's not going to close all the way. Um, and then it didn't, but she figured it out. Um, I thought the plan that they came up with, knowing that you probably didn't have that much time, um, was really creative. And I also really liked the lighting throughout, like that whole scene. I thought that was the really neon, cool. All I, the like, neon the, I like the black mm-hmm. light effects. Yes. They really got into redecorating and like writing little slogans <laughs> and black light paint. It made me think what good would I be in this situation? And I realized I can be the guy writing things like <laughs> on the wall. You guys yeah. get a little plan to, to get the killers or whatever and I'll just write really mean things about about the, the killer. <laughs> right. Good this way, evil. psycho. <laughs> <laughs> I do like bathing yourself in CK1 because I used to do that on a regular basis, um, but not to protect myself from from psycho killers, um, just because I liked an androgynous scent for anybody, and it made me want some CK1 really bad, so great. We haven't had a good needle drop in a very long time, and uh, it's worth noting that the uh, uh, prepping the... Prepping the the trap is set to come out and play mm-hmm. offspring. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything. Well, does that fit? Or yeah, does, of course or does it does. It not? I don't know. I mean, they are breaking the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and they're, you know, they're about to kill a sheriff. They're being punks. They're not going to jail. Right. <laughs> Perfect. But they're but so. they're also inviting the killer to come out and play, right? Right. Like, That's true. Like true. in The right. Outsiders. <laughs> You mean the warriors? I, the warriors, the warriors. Yeah, warriors. thank you. <laughs> when I was just watching, rewatching the end with with Jess just uh, a little bit ago, I was I was kind of wishing that Bonk Boy, as he was kind of banging his stick up against uh, uh, the the walls and stuff in that final scene, I wish he he would just say "Come out and play" or something <laughs> like that. Like he he should have a catchphrase. I feel no, like. because I think what's scary about Bonk Boy yeah. is his creepy mask and his silence. Just his bonking is all he has, and right. that <laughs> is creepy. So <laughs> just that you just know he's coming because the yeah the bonking too much bonking. Something I I, I um, learned a minute ago. Billy Barker was played by a woman, a stunt woman, uh, a full sized woman. I yeah. bet. Well, she's short, but yeah. Just like uh, just like Jason in um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two at the beginning, really? Really? you're actually you're seeing a. a well, I'm just I'm just saying that Billy Barker could actually just be a woman, and we just assume Billy Barker's a little boy because he has a little oh, boy mask. Oh, true. And that's my prejudice. <laughs> See, yeah. Why can't girls, be... girls can can bonk uh, can people bonk in bed too. to death as well. <laughs> <laughs> girls, girls are bonking it for themselves. It's true. <laughs> um, how did you like the uh, the um, the super uh, kill scene towards the end when they've all been doused with 
uh, the monster on monster kills. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just going to come back, but it's it's pretty good. There's not quite enough of it, um, which would be my only critique, is that we see like a little bit of them starting to do their Royal Rumble, but then it's kind of cut off mm-hmm. and then we come back and they're all in pieces. I want to see them. Yeah. I want to see them. I want every piece to fall in my full view. If that happened, it yeah. would be perfect. But as if is. we could see one decapitation, Oof, just one, two. This, yeah, this was, <laughs> would be. I mean, that would be something. <laughs> It is kind of funny that their limbs kind of start to um, uh, come back together. And and I think it's Dean is like, we don't have much time. <laughs> They're reforming. So we find out this is when we realize that the mall is built over the campgrounds, right? Uh, because the, the hanging tree is there. And also Dina gets down to the tunnels. The poop cave is right under the mall. <laughs> yes. She chases uh, Sheriff Good through the tunnels, gets down there, and that's where they have their final um, showdown. Yes. Can I say before this, I think my best kill happens. I think this is my best kill. What is it? Um, Random cop is shining a flashlight kind of at at the camera, and he's just like in the middle of saying something and then just suddenly gets stabbed through. (laughs) And as as his flashlight's kind of pointing in our eyes, I I don't know. Anytime a cop is killed <laughs> is my is my best kill. I do like how he's yelling and he can clearly see that these kids have super soakers and he's like, hand me your weapons. Put it's like the these are obviously down. comically bright colored, cartoonishly that's what, shaped that's what water they want guns. you to think. They're real guns that look like. <laughs> that um God. that deputy who is killed there, um, he's actually the older version of the deputy in seventy eight who comes and talks to Nick and is like, hey, one day you're going to be my boss. Be nice yes. to me oh then. My God. And the only thing I can say is like, he's aged pretty poorly. Like he lost <laughs> the mustache. He lost his hair. Everything's gone. He's lost so much. He's out of shape. Yeah. He's, yeah. You know who aged pretty well was Nurse Lane. Yes. She I, barely I aged she at looked all. Great. Barely a day. I mean, she looked sad, but she looked great at the same time. I was glad that uh, she and Siki might be able to be friends. That was a nice moment at the end. So I think the big question is going to be, at the end, as the credits are rolling, we see that the devil book, (laughs) we don't have a name for it, for some reason was not collected and put in evidence. Right, they walk away from the book. The book is the cause of everything bad, as far as I know, they in just this have trilogy. like the number down, but no one has thought to take it back to the police station and put it in a locker for any kind of there. evidence. They just leave it there. So at the end, we see a pair of hands grab the book. Who grabs the book? I asked Jeffrey this before. He said it was nobody and it's just meant to be like a little interesting thing. Well, that's the real answer. That's the, the, <laughs> but what, what's the fun answer? So what I, Maybe the real answer is the cops did finally come to collect it yeah, and put it really into evidence. It's so just, it's, whoops, I forgot this. <laughs> I forgot that this very important piece of evidence. I was kind of thinking that it was Nurse Lane. I mean, she hasn't oh. solved the mystery of her daughter going crazy yet. Maybe, um, maybe she wanted some more information. Maybe. 
What about Mayor Good? What's what's that, Mayor Good? I, I like to? I like this theory because there are other goods that are still alive, right? Yeah, and there's yeah. probably Including like the mayor, some cousins and stuff too. Also, it's really hard to maintain your last name for over three hundred years, like right. to have the yeah. same lineage. <laughs> like that's a very pure well, male lineage. <laughs> they're they're obviously inbreeding because they they look like the same person three hundred years later. <laughs> I mean, they're also Only the hairstyles change. They're very into it. Like they're clearly preserving it. When we see uh, the interior of Nick Good's uh, oh bachelor gosh. pad, we see the <laughs> one of the best scenes. The framed uh, family tree. So it's very important to them that they maintain mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the good name. I feel like the only things that are framed in Good's home, which, by the way, is connected <laughs> to the mall. His home. The I only love his thing home. he has yeah, framed to the poop cave and the mall. The only thing he has framed are inspirational posters. Yes. And then the the family tree. And Blake was like, "No, that looks right." And I'm like, "You would never see like if I was expecting I to disagree. see inspirational posters in someone's home, it would be like an office, he's, maybe." He's tacky. R- rich people are often tacky. Yeah, I to me Maybe he's being ironic. True. No. No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I mean, when I saw all the all the like taxidermy goat heads, I accepted that, but when I saw the motivational poster, I was like, "Oh, this guy's psycho. This guy is lost." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, to me like he kind of well, all of the goods really give off this incel energy. Like, I mean, the reason that Solomon turned on Sarah Fear and like got her hanged was because she like rejected him or she he knew right. that she wouldn't be with him. And I don't know, maybe somehow Nick Good also felt that with Ziggy, like she didn't want to be with him or something. And that's why he was he was turning on her as well. Um, but I don't know. I don't think it was from economic reasons that they like channeled the devil because like Solomon was doing pretty well out in his farmlands. He said the land was very fertile. So um, I can't think of another reason besides like, oh, this girl rejected me. So as a result, I'm going to curse all shady ciders forever. I mean, it sounds like a typical toxic male situation, yeah. right? A girl scorned me. Therefore, everyone will pay. Yeah. <laughs> Kind Further of. proof of his uh, incel nature is when she's just a weird girl who reads Stephen King. He's like, oh, Stephen King's really popular. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so. Name every right. one of his novels and his uh, short stories now. <laughs> I mean, a real fan. Name the th- name the three novels he yes, has written. There up were to this three point. at that point. And I love what he says. He says that um, uh, uh, what Carrie is his second favorite. Of them, right. it's like there behind. are three, right? What but then later from? on, he reveals that he hasn't even read The Shining yet, so he's ranking it two out of two. <laughs> it would have been funnier if, if if one of them had been like, "I can't wait for The Shining to come out." <laughs> well, um, so one thing about him that um, is really interesting, or like all the versions of like Nick Good throughout the time, from Solomon to Nick that I thought was really interesting is that even though they've made this deal with the devil to get whatever they want, they still don't have love. I mean, presumably they do at some point because like, how are these firstborn sons being created? But they don't like get the person they want. Right. I mean, uh, Solomon does not wind up with Sarah. Clearly, Nick does not end up with Ziggy. I mean, he's like sliding notes under her door that have no purpose just to try to like get her to call him. Right. Um, Yeah. 
which that was actually a weird detail. And I can only really read it through his like uh, 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 recurrent incelness is that <laughs> he just desperately wants to like try to connect with her. So he's like starting murder rampages to be like, hey, remember when we went through a murder rampage? It's happening again. <laughs> if you need help, you know my number. Uh, so yeah, it's like, it's that double edged nature to the, um, uh, the deal with the devil. Like technically they're getting most of what they want. They are extremely prosperous. They have this great town. They can be in these elevated positions in society, but they're not going to get the girl in the end. Yeah. Maybe it's part of that Sarah fear curse also. It's, oh, (sighs) well, I have one more question for the group. Yes. If there are. Fear Street spinoff, which most likely there will be. Who do you want it to follow? Blake is probably going to vote for Bonk Boy. (laughs) Yeah. I think I, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Katie, but, you know, give me some more Ruby Lane, right? For sure. Uh, From what I read on the internet, she is a fan favorite. (laughs) She was the only girl killer. She was so adorable. Um, I would love it if she were... If she were in it again, but I would also be fine if it were just a new story altogether and we just kind of closed this chapter and um, and focused on something else because, of course, there's about 80 of these books that uh, <laughs> they could choose to explore. They should do some Christmas specials, there, you know? There are some babysitters that need... Uh... Yeah, let's let's chop up these babysitters. <laughs> <laughs> What? Josh, do you have a do you have a pick? Uh, I mean, I like Bonk Boy. I like the Humpty Dumpty Killer. I guess the Humpty <laughs> Dumpty Killer. Did they show the Humpty Dumpty Killer? Do you just see like headlines? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just dismembering people, so it's not as fun as it sounds. Like I'm picturing. <laughs> well, he's dismembering them, but putting, putting them, them back, back together. together yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, that sounds like a very gruesome movie, and I don't know if I want to watch. Yeah, that. yeah. Sounds human centipede. No, thank you. It sounds cute, though, when I'm just uh, picturing an Eggman doing killing. <laughs> That's true. And Jeffrey, do you have a, a direction? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in camp new story. Um, as much as I like the individual killers that we don't really see much of, like just aesthetically, like we know what their stories are broadly. Like there's no surprises there. That was actually a problem that 78 runs into where it's like, we know what happens in this story. We're just going to see people yeah. killed. So they like do ridiculous things, like try to like confuse us about who C Berman is to try to make it interesting. Um, uh, which they don't successfully do, in in my opinion. So I, I just don't feel like there's much there other than just seeing some some gnarly kills. So I would rather go in a, a new direction. Uh, what era did uh, was the was Bonk Boy from? Um, I don't know. I just know that he killed his three brothers and bludgeoned them to death. Because that makes all the difference. Well, to hold me. on, I can he look looked, it up. He looked Depression era. Is that yeah. rude? Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's very rude. I think he was before Milkman. Who, Milkman was fifties, I think. So yeah, I think Depression era that, sounds right. Having a, the concept of a milkman is so very fifties. He's <laughs> but yeah, he's nineteen twenty-two. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. so fl- flappers, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the roaring <laughs> the 20s, all 20s. of that. <laughs> I would, the bonking, I, I would call it call it something like the bonkening. Okay. Um, and, you know, take off the mask and, and like we talked about <laughs> earlier, it's a, it's a bonk, gr- bonk girl 
just to freak out the fans and mm-hmm. have a terrible reaction online. <laughs> it's just the plot of Great Gatsby, except he's the part of Gatsby. So he moves next door. <laughs> It just starts bonking everyone in East and West Egg. And they rename it in later uh, decades as Bonk Street. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, do we want to go ahead and rate this? Normally we rate things. um, We use a four hoof rating. If it's a magical, wonderful uh, story, we give it four hooves and a unicorn horn. Do the guests want to go first or do you want me and Josh Hang to go? On. Are while we rating you think the about trilogy it? as a whole? Yeah. Fair enough. If you want, you can rank your movies too. Like your favorite in order if you want. But I'm just going to rate it as a solid uh, three, 3.5 hooves. I, I was going to say three. <laughs> yeah. Three hooves. Yeah. Uh, also three and it goes two, one, three for my ratings so you like 78 94 and then 66 16 66 i i think i agree with that that ranking yeah mostly just because i didn't like the 16 66 stuff that much because i feel like i've seen all that stuff so many times but done done better in the witch actually i'd have to agree with you guys yeah because i love camp horror films yeah it's probably a very controversial i like camp in the mall (laughs) i like i like camp i like like malls yeah i like the poop cave but there were things in 1666 that i did like but yeah yeah as a whole it wasn't my favorite uh katie um i will probably say three hooves um okay you know i'll probably say 3.5 because I've watched them three times and they've only been out a month. So um, <laughs> I yeah. must like them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in order, I would say that it would be like one, three, two. Okay. Because yeah. the second one had like too many emotions for me personally. Oh. <laughs> okay. And Jeffrey. Um, I'm going to go for uh, the, the full four hooves. And was it unicorn horn? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now that's that's not like a, a um, like an objective seal of quality because like I do think these movies are not particularly good, but I do love them and I'm kind of obsessed with them and I can't stop thinking about them <laughs> and I've watched them three times. I will watch them a hundred more times. Um, <laughs> I I'm I'm fascinated by them. They're so weird. Um, they're so goofy and at times like though they have this ironic detachment to them they're also bizarrely earnest in a way that I think is very authentically Fear Street um, that I like a lot Um, so I'm just drawn to them like trying to parse them out and figuring out like what 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 these mean about like where horror is right now whether or not these are connecting with teens which I think that these are um like I've gotten um I, I've seen like the number of um like uh, fan accounts that have popped up on social media for these movies from like real life wow. teenagers is really fascinating to me um I mean all of these people when they actually uh, you know spend uh 20 to 30 dollars to pick up a a vintage fear street book are going to be very disappointed Um, (laughs) but they've got something that they like right now and i think that that's interesting and even if the movies are not good uh there's still there's still something that i think is maybe an interesting direction for horror to move in um so i'm i'm fully into them uh yeah love them uh great wonderful (laughs) That's fair. Awesome. Yeah. 
All right. Five amazing ratings. <laughs> and I want to thank you, Katie and Jeffrey, for coming on the podcast and taking your time to join us. Um, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Sure. Um, what are you both working on right now? <laughs> well, I have a creative project on Instagram um, called The Haunted Outfit, where I draw pictures of fashions from 90s YA horror, such as Fear Street. You'll see some of uh, some of the movie classics as well as some of the book classics as well. The Z- she did Ziggy. I love the Ziggy so much. Mm-hmm. I did Ziggy. There's a few more in the pipeline. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can't wait. And Jeffrey? Yeah. Um, you know, you can just follow my Instagram where I post um, lots of, of pictures of things from my personal collection of, of many books, a lot of them uh, YA horror titles from this period uh, that is obliquely being referenced in this movie uh, by at least the title alone. Uh, yeah, that's where you can find me and you'll get lots of updates about wonderful things that I, I like and I'm obsessed with at the moment. Yeah. Are you working on any podcasts or anything? Katie mentioned that you have one and I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Or had. No, I have a, I have a podcast kind of, I'm like a a guest on some things here and there. Uh, I do have, uh, I guess something more substantial. I have a a middle grade graphic novel that's coming out this October, um, from Harper Collins. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, you can. I guess, follow. Again, follow me on Instagram. You can click on my links and find all the good information about that. Maybe you'll come back on and we'll rate your book and we'll give it four hooves and a unicorn horn. Uh, or maybe we'll roast it. Who knows? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. And Thanks for sticking with us for so long. Yeah, it's one for the books. Thanks, Blake and Jess and Josh. You guys are awesome. Anytime. Yeah, thank you. And um, please just remember that, um, what is it? Uh, Normal bitches don't bleed black fucking blood. (laughs) (laughs) That's our new new sign-off. That's our sign-off, guys. I'm not even going to try to top that. (laughs) All right. Until next time, normal bitches don't bleed black blood. See you later.